Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bells swing and jingle bells ring. Snowing and blowing up bushels of fun. Now the jingle hop has begun. Well, thank God it's Friday. Yeah, and Christmas is and right Christmas around the corner. Christmas is in three days. I can't believe it. It makes us happy. Look how happy we are just to hear the Christmas music, guys. You bet. It's great. And in the studio, we have Ed Cox, New York State Chairman of GOP. We have uh, Governor Patterson, the uh, Democratic, former Democratic Chairman of the uh, uh, Democratic Committee. And a friend of Santa Claus. And a friend of Santa Claus. <laughs> you know and, him too? Wow. Yeah. Long and time. A special, a special guest. And, and, and a very special guest, by the way, Margo Katsimatidis. We are so happy. This is, now we know it's Christmas Bravo. that Margo's yeah, joined us. Margo, welcome to Well, thank you, thank you. So happy to be here with all of you. I think we need a little more Christmas music with Margo because it makes us happy. Margo's always the happiest person in the building. Oh, wow. There you go. Look, I love this. How Margo, Merry Christmas. It's so beautiful to have you here too. And and to be with the Katsimatidis family. There's is so the many best. things, Rita, that are going on just a few days before Christmas. I don't know where we're starting. Well, I can start with the fact that Jack Smith, uh, I think you got a lump of coal for Christmas, okay? This is the special counsel who was pushing with the Supreme Court to fast-track the Donald Trump case. And he got a big slap on the wrist today saying he, this is over the presidential immunity. He was trying to jump all the middle courts, essentially, and say, let's hurry up and let's fast-track it because he wants to put Trump on trial right before Super Tuesday. And he he got a big no-no today from the Supreme Court. John, this is a biggie because this is a big win for Trump, everybody is saying. Uh, and this could delay the trial. This is going to be first of uh, many setbacks for Jack Smith from the Supreme Court. Aren't the American people just disgusted what's going on? They are. They are. Absolutely. Uh, the, the, you know, what the you know Alan Dershowitz says is get Trump. He wrote that book, and it's yeah. true. Yes, and in fact, we have Professor Dershowitz joining us right now. He is here on the phone. Uh, joining us now is the great uh, Harvard Law School professor uh, Alan Dershowitz. Professor Dershowitz, this is enormous news today. Uh, what's your reaction to the fact that the Supreme Court said no, Jack Smith? You can't fast track it. You're going to have to go back to the lower courts. Uh, this is a big loss, I think, for the special counsel. Well, as you might imagine, I predicted it absolutely accurately a few days ago, including on your show. Um, and I've said it was a total contradiction. The trial judge keeps saying, I'm treating him like he's an ordinary guy. He's not running for president. He's not a former president. He's an ordinary guy. And ordinary guys don't get delays. We don't get anything. Just treat him like an ordinary guy. And then Jack Smith comes in and says, this is not an ordinary guy. He's running for president. We got to change the system. We got to eliminate the right of a, an appellate review. We have to go right to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court saw through it, and it looks like it was nine to nothing. And I don't know whether nine what it portends for some of the other cases. Wow, was it, does, uh, was it nine to nothing? John and I were just well, going was, nine to nothing. Yeah, there was no dissent noted, and that was just on the issue 
of whether to take the case on an expedited fashion. Now, the next case that's going to come up, you don't have to take it on an expedited fashion because it comes from Colorado and there's no intermediate court of appeals. And so this is the absurd Colorado ruling that Donald Trump fought in the Civil War. Just imagine him with that gray hat on, you know, fighting against fighting for the rebels because the 14th Amendment obviously was designed to make sure that people who fought in the Civil War can't run for uh, high office. But uh, I, I don't know what the court will do. I think the court will take that one on a relatively quick basis. And I think I'm going to make another prediction. They will reverse it. They will not allow the Colorado Supreme Court to decide who you can vote for for president of the United States. That would be the most undemocratic uh, rule imaginable. It would really, as the former, some South American presidents have said, stop lecturing us on democracy (laughs) when you're trying to deny people the right to vote. Yeah, it looks like a banana republic. Uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz, we have uh, former Governor David Patterson. So, Alan, I just want you to explain to me how someone gets kicked off the ballot, theoretically because of wrongs that they did, when there's actually no evidence of the wrong. In other words, he may have done this, but no co- congressional here uh, committee found him to be in violation. There was no court that found him. They're investigating him now. But how could they take him off anticipating that he would be uh, charged with uh, some of the acts on January 6th or any other time? Jack Smith didn't even charge him. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't even charge him. yeah and Jack <laughs> Smith, he, you know, if he could have, he oh, would have. <laughs> uh, let me be the devil's advocate. I always, when I taught, always was present the opposite view from what I believe to challenge the students. Here's what the Colorado court said. The Colorado court said we had a full trial. Uh, the trial court found, found without a jury, but just found, as a matter of fact, that he had committed um, these acts. Now, you know, the trial court never defined what the acts, uh, what they were, uh, because, you know, what he did was was just make a speech and people had a, 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 a revolution uh, that turned violent, but they didn't try to overthrow the government. They were just trying to um, advocate for a change in the law. So, you know, they're going to say, I'm, again, I'm just presenting the other side, that there has been a judicial finding, not a jury finding, but a judge finding that um, that uh, he did commit insurrection and rebellion. But it's nonsense. He didn't commit insurrection and rebellion. You know, there are two elements that they focus on. Number one, the fact that other people engaged in violence. Well, you know, guilt is individual in this country. And the second is that he was involved in an effort to try to get the vice president <clears throat> not to uh, certify. But that's a legal issue. If you don't like it, you appeal it, you win. But using legal methods to try to undo an election is not an insurrection or rebellion. It's exactly the opposite. You know, in American history, we've had Shays' rebellion. We had Aaron Burr's rebellion. We know what a rebellion is, and it's not what happened on January 6th. Yeah, and not when someone says peacefully and patriotically, too. Uh, you know, um, I want to go back to the the big thing here, uh, also, Professor Dershowitz, with Jack Smith, this decision, because Jack Smith uh, wanted the trial to start March 4th. Um, that's why he was rushing to see get this you know presidential immunity issue done. The next day is Super Tuesday. So what a of number course. of people were saying is now it goes down to the appeals court, does this mean a lot of people think that now this case may not happen? It doesn't look like it will happen in March, probably. It may not happen this year. 
Um, well, how, what, what does that mean to the timetable, you know? Here's my prediction. The Court of Appeals, um, which is very much anti-Trump, will expedite the appeal. In fact, they've already expedited it. I think arguments are on January 9th. They will come down with a very, very quick decision saying that uh, you can uh, put him on trial, that he doesn't have immunity. That will be their decision. The Trump people will then appeal it immediately to the Supreme Court. And the question at that point is whether the Supreme Court will take the case up quickly, because at that point, the issue will be uh, the Trump people will want the case to be reviewed and the uh, Jack Smith people won't. And so the Supreme Court's going to get another crack at this because we can be almost completely certain that the Court of Appeals in the District of Columbia will rule against Trump. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Bob, before we let you go, uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz, I want you wrote a great book. It's called The War Against the Jews. Yeah, and um, there are so many calls today for Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, uh, to be removed. There's these allegations, 40 allegations of plagiarism. Yeah. And uh, now there's a report out. This was really interesting. It just came out. Um, and John and I were talking about this Obama privately yeah. lobbying Harvard's right. president. Uh, what do you make of all this? Well, I, I believe it. I think Obama was lobbying the president, was lobbying the board. He's very close to the chairman of the board. She was, you know, his in his cabinet, and she was also one of his major fundraisers. And I think he has her on the speed dial. And um, it, it, it's it's an outrage. You know, I had a student some years ago who engaged. He was a senior student. And he was dyslexic, so we had a, an appointed secretary from the school. And he put footnotes in a four-page draft of something he did, but the secretary failed to put in the footnotes and sent it to the teacher. We had the original with all the footnotes. And they said, and this is what they said exactly, even if it was accidental, even if it was not intentional, that's no excuse. If it was plagiarism, it's plagiarism. And the kid got all kind of problems suspended. I had to take the case to court and we eventually won. But Harvard's policy for years has always been no excuses for plagiarism. If you borrow people's words and don't cite them appropriately, and we know she did that, uh, but Harvard has now introduced the new concept, which was never, I believe, there when I was there for 50 years, and that it has to be either intentional or negligent. I don't believe that's the rule that Harvard has applied to the students over the years. I think they've applied a double standard to her once again. You know, the, 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 the amazing Governor. thing, Alan, is that I was always taught that the real scholarship was the ability to quote, not to copy. In other words, to, <laughs> to actually demonstrate that you had read what this person said and how interesting it was, but as long as you quoted the person... It could be, sure. of course, part of your argument. And yeah. there's so many shocking examples of very yeah. well-known well, the, people getting caught with this. Well, the most extreme example is she was such a copycat that she actually copied the words of somebody else's acknowledgement. <laughs> In her acknowledgements, that's not even scholarship. Can't you just make up your own acknowledgement? Isn't it supposed to come from the heart rather than from somebody else's words? I mean, she is not an appropriate president for Harvard. She is not an appropriate role model for the students and the faculty. And I think Harvard is going downhill. But I don't think they have the courage to stand up because what they're saying is, oh, if we if we change it now, 
will be giving in to the rich donors. What do you think the corporation is? They're rich donors. Yeah, and, 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 and the ones who were appointed are, are all rich donors. They should listen to Ackman, who's written a long letter. They never even responded to his letter. Right to and Bill Ackman, exactly, the big hedge fund. The, the interesting thing is that some of these people are accusing of plagiarizing from their work. They're anonymous because they're scared. Yeah, no, yeah, although there's yeah, one, there's why, Carol Swain, yeah. who's... Well, who, she's come out, yeah, she's but there come are out. others who right. want to be anonymous because they are scared. My yes. colleagues at the law school faculty are scared. They've all gathered around her. I don't believe they all think that, but they're afraid, they say, that if they give in to the donors, that their independence will be diminished. Well, you know, Harvard isn't only the current faculty. Harvard has a long tradition, 1600s. And it consists of alumni, it consists of donors, it consists of future students, former students. Everybody should be listened to. The Harvard Crimson refused to publish a letter that I wrote to the Harvard Crimson, uh, first time in 65 years that I've written a letter that hasn't been published because it was critical of gay. The New York Post today published it. And you can read it in the Post. But the Crimson refused to publish my letter. That is crazy. Totalitarianism has sunk over Harvard. Even the student newspaper won't allow a 60-year professor at Harvard to write a polite letter critical of President Gay. That is crazy. That is unbelievable. And you know what? What I keep thinking about is also the double standard because the UPenn president, who gave the same answers, essentially, as the head of Harvard, she was gone. It was like uh, five minutes, you know? Yeah. Um, I I mean, what does this say about the fight, um, you know, against these anti-Semitic protests, too, Professor Dershowitz? Because that's troubling. It's very troubling, and it also shows a double standard. When you have somebody who has been part of the DEI movement, the diversity, equity, and inclusion movement, they're protected. They're protected. Um, And if she was appointed... As a result of the DEI movement, nobody knows, obviously, what the reasons were she was appointed, but she surely objectively was not the most qualified person for the job. Um, then, uh, you know, it is a double standard. She and the president qualified. of Penn, who had a much, much better, she was the dean of the Stanford Law School. Um, she was a First Amendment expert. She at least had the credibility to talk about the First Amendment, whereas gay discovered the First Amendment on October 7th. Yeah, right. All that butchery occurred. She had never defended the First Amendment before, but when it comes to Jew haters, oh, the First Amendment, context, context. Well, the real context is what Harvard has been doing for years, punishing people for microaggressions, but then saying it's not punishable except in context if you call for the genocide against the Jews. You can't misgender somebody. That's inexcusable. But genocide against the Jews, context, context, context. It's the devil's standard that's so devastating to her. Yeah, shameful. Well, I'm glad that you are speaking out about it. Uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz, thank you so much. Thank we you. always Merry love Christmas, you. Merry Christmas, everybody. Hey, thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much. And coming up on Cats and Cosby, uh, we talk economy and we also talk these crazy bills that were passed by the City Council of New York, which make cops' jobs much tougher. It's crazy. That and much more after the break. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here. How are the markets looking? Of course, as we are heading into the Christmas. I think we need a little more Christmas music as we bring in Adam Johnson likes Christmas. Too. Here we go. <laughs> 
And joining us now here on Cats and Cosby is Adam Johnson. He has anchored many business programs on Bloomberg Television and many more. You see him all the time on Fox News. He's he's on the best panels because he's on with John Katsimatidis all the time on Fox Business, yes. which I love. And Adam, we're really glad to have you here. Uh, first of all, you know, I want to ask you, how, how did the markets, they didn't hit an all-time high, but it hit pretty high today. Well, it sure did. And, you know, the the um, the Dow Jones Industrials has been na- making a new high practically every day for the past week or two. Interestingly, the uh, the Nasdaq, you know, where all the tech stocks live, that's still below its all time high. And actually, if you look at the small caps, they're like 15 percent below their all time high because those are the companies that, you know, need money. And when money's expensive and Lord knows uh, everything's expensive these days, uh, it's really hard for small caps. But they're coming back. You know, inflation, I think, is beaten. The Fed is not perfect, but they uh, I think they're doing a very good job at, at trying to engineer this soft landing. It may not feel like that when you, you know, you go to spend money uh, on the kids for Christmas, but um, inflation's coming down. It's going the right way. So so the so the magnificent seven are driving the market. Is that right? <laughs> They are. And as a guy who runs the American Ingenuity Fund, I own them. I have to. I call those stocks core ingenuity. And, and I'd be remiss if I didn't own them for uh, my subscribers. Um, I'll tell you, uh, there are a lot of things that are doing very well. Um, artificial intelligence is powerful. Uh, robotics, automation. Um, the one thing that doesn't is the one thing the government got involved with, which is clean energy. I've, I think I've lost money this year on every clean energy stock that I've tried to own over the past. <laughs> right? I think everybody has. I mean, what a well, mess that is. Oh, it's a mess, and it's because government made it a mess. You know, the subsidies only get you so far, and those companies can't make money on their own. And it was fine when interest rates were zero. You know, they all got a pass. But when rates went up and all of a sudden they needed capital, the market kind of looked and said, hang on, they're not making money. We don't know when they will make money. Subsidies don't last forever. You know, eventually, you know, Margaret Thatcher, right? You know, she said the problem with socialism is eventually you run out of other people's money. And, you know, <laughs> right? you know it's kind of the same with clean energy. It's got to work on its own. Well, and, I- and, and we're not there yet. Adam, speaking about that other people's money, uh, how about the yeah. deficit? You're talking $2 trillion a yeah. year. Uh, that's what the run rate at the moment is. And plus, uh, you got the Fed doing quantitative tightening. That means another trillion basically a year that uh, the Treasury's got to put out. Uh, what's happening in the bond market? Well, the bond market is struggling to deal with that. And I think we're all struggling to deal with it. It's not just um, the bond market, but, you know, it's all of us who sort of say, hang on a minute. If we ran our own businesses or our own, you know, houses, um, and families, the way the, the government um, runs its its budget, or I should say, doesn't run its budget, uh, you know, we'd all be fired. We are we are spending money we don't have, and it's a real problem. And no one wants to address the entitlements. I mean, as as you all know, I mean, entitlements, uh, Medicare, Social Security, and uh, Medicaid are two thirds. Of the federal budget. So when when all the senators get together and, and you know, just disagree on everything, um, they're really only voting on a third of the budget because two thirds of it is already spoken for. And unfortunately, um, that two thirds is getting so big that uh, it's all, you know, we're running out of money. 
for those programs. And no one wants to deal with that. I don't know. I don't know how we're going to figure that out. I really don't. I, I don't have an answer. I'm a stock picker. I can tell you what stocks to buy, but I can't tell you how to fix the deficit. Well, we're talking to a great economic expert, uh, Adam Johnson here. Adam, what about U.S. Steel? What's going to happen with U.S. Steel? I don't think that um, it's going to be allowed to be sold to uh, the Japanese. Nippon Steel wants to buy it. I mean, this is one of the crown jewels of American industry. And I know that steel isn't what it used to be, uh, but it's still one of those things that sort of it, it just it, it makes people say, wait a minute, we're we're selling U.S. steel. I mean, you know, that would be like the Japanese trying to buy Microsoft or Google, you know, and I think. Um, while I tend to be a guy who believes that small government is better government, um, you know, there is a place for uh, intelligent regulation for creating guardrails. Um, and, and, and I do think that regulators are going to um, take a look at this and, and, and ultimately say no. I, that's my view. Um, I could be wrong. But, um, you know, certainly the, the Biden administration has been very tough on big mergers. Um, primarily because they, you know, uh, feel that big mergers tend to be anti-competitive. Um, but and this is a slightly different issue, but there's a precedent for uh, for not letting a big merger go through. And Adam, since we're heading into, uh, obviously, Christmas, uh, can we buy a whole bunch of stuff for Christmas? Uh, what's sort of your prediction of where we're headed in the new year with the economy and interest rates? Well, if you look at the retail sales from the holiday weekend, it was a new record. They were up, you know, whether you want to measure the e-commerce sales or in-store sales or whatever, the range was uh, anywhere uh, from up seven and a half to up nine and a half percent versus last year. So people are spending. Uh, they may be putting it on credit cards because they're getting, you know, squeezed by inflation. But um, the good news here, and, and again, I'm an optimist. I'll generally tell you, the, you know, the, the positive side of the inflation. Um, the good news is that people are employed. Uh, they are spending money. And um, as a result, they are uh, generating earnings for companies. So, you know, the two E's of earnings and employment are very important for the stock market. And I also think that as you think about it in the context of a, you know, a larger economy, I do think the economy is doing better than a lot of people have given it credit for. You know, we saw GDP above 5% in the third quarter. It's probably somewhere in the mid twos um, in the fourth quarter, you know, as in right now. Um, I do think that um, we are going to see new highs in the stock market uh, next year uh, because, well, continue to see new highs yep. um, because uh, the economy, again, I think it's stronger, uh, it's stronger than we think. And thank goodness, it's, it's yeah. far from perfect, but it's stronger than we think. So I can get John and Margot a really nice Christmas gift and feel good about it, right? Is that it? Well, yes. And why wouldn't you? Because they're wonderful people. Absolutely. That's the right answer for every reason, because it's correct. <laughs> Adam, thank you, thank Adam you. Johnson. Thank you so much. Merry oh, Christmas. Hi, John. I Merry am here, John. but I got a yes, short throat, so I'm, I'm being uh, careful. Yeah, John's trying to take it. He wants to have a good Christmas. He's relaxing, so which is good, you know? He's here, but well, he's the hardest working person in America. Yeah, drink lots of tea, put lemon and honey in there, get some sleep. Thank you. Thank you. Merry Christmas. And uh, by the way, uh, this was not a happy Christmas for NYPD, you guys, because the New York City Council passed bills uh, requiring these cops to log every investigative encounter and also canceling the solitary confinement, uh, bogging cops down as if their jobs are not tough enough, guys. And joining us now is Ed Mamet, retired NYPD captain. Uh, Captain Mamet. Uh, talk about what a mess this is for police. And also, it doesn't save any money. It actually adds money. 
That's correct. But first, let me wish everybody, all my friends there, a happy holiday. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, wait, wait, let's give a little Christmas music to Ed and all the NYPD. Here we go. Where, you there we... watch out. <laughs> the God likes that one. There you go, Ed. Santa's working with the police now. Yes, Santa's working with the police. That was the governor. (laughs) Well, I have to say that the New York City Council is out of control. It's a classic case of the inmates running the asylum. I don't know what they're going to accomplish. And and you know what they do? They're going to turn the cops into glorified, high-paid clerks because it's going to be an administrative nightmare. And let me give an example. At Times Square, there's a lot of tourists, okay? And you have cops there, and they're always walking up to the cops and asking, you know, questions, directions. Does that mean that the cop has to record every one of those encounters? I mean, it's bizarre. And then who's going to look at them? The, it would require supervisor review. It would require filing, you know, storage. And then we really don't know who, what purpose it's going to serve. It's mind-boggling. Now, now, did Mayor Adams veto it, or he says he wants to veto it? Yeah, but he hasn't done it yet, right? But, to but they, has, they can override his veto, can't they? He, he has 30 days to do it. They probably have the votes to override his veto. The council that will vote to override the veto will be the incoming city council, not those who are going out of office now. There is a change, I'd say, in the direction of the veto being harder to overturn, but I think they have the votes to overturn it. Oh, no. So so it looks like it's going to go forward, if that's the case. Uh, Ed, also, you were telling me, too, that, well, like, supervisory age, like, now they have to actually add extra people to read the reports. Not only yeah, does right, it bog the cops gonna, down, you've got to have people reading you know, them. First of all, the department is short of people. So they're going to have to either take cops off other duties, you know, law enforcement duties, to do the administrative work. If not, they would have to hire more civilians. So what's to be gained? There's going to be an expense involved. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Governor Patterson for Ed Mamet. I want the mayor to to veto this bill, but I want to ask you about something. Uh, Yesterday, the Speaker of the City Council, Adrienne Adams, was very adamant. It's the first time I've ever heard of this adamant. And she was talking about the issue of people stopping and asking the police for directions and how that had to be reported. She says that's not in the bill. Um, can you refute that, or do you know? Because I haven't read the bill. Yeah, or explain what explain what it is that they have to stop them for. Right. Um, well, it's not really a stop. You know, it's like, from what I understand, it's if um, you, you talk to anybody for any reason, you, um, you would have to um, put in a report. So the question is, if someone comes up to the police officer, will a report have to be made, or is it only when the police officer initiates a conversation with somebody? So that hasn't been clear. Well, Ed, I'll, I'll tell you this. We'll have to write an operational order when the when the um, when it goes into effect, and I just can imagine what that operational order is going to look like. Well, sure Ed, I'll tell you this right now. I ride the subway, and when I get off, I, half the time I don't know where I am. I'm always asking police officers. I will be personally responsible for hundreds of thousand dollars being spent just on helping me get to WABC every day. <laughs> That's very well, comforting really for the police. That, you, know, <laughs> you know, I would think that the cops wouldn't want to bother, you know, try to get away with it. But the problem is they have the cameras. So if, they, if the camera has to be turned on, they can't fudge it. You know, they, they have to do it. So there's a lot of problems here with it. Um, I can't imagine. And, and very busy precincts where, the, you know, where you have high crime and the cops are running from place to place. I don't understand. They can't do it. They'll have to go back to the station house and do it there. So now you have an overtime problem. So what's to be saved and what's to be gained? 
Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, Ed Mamet, you keep us posted when we find out exactly what the stops are, what qualifies when you get that long, uh, uh list of things and make sure you keep Governor Patterson's name out of it. Okay. If you could. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Rita, I'll take Uber if you like. I'll take Uber. <laughs> okay. Good. I'll get the bill after the holiday and I'll read it over. <laughs> thank you, Ed. And thank you. And of course, we love and appreciate all our members of the NYPD, uh, and our first responders and everything you guys do. Ed, thank Thank you. And um, coming up, we're going to be talking to Gordon Chang uh, because there's big news on China and the Hootsies. And also we're going to be talking later also to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation uh, to talk about what they are doing, some amazing things these holidays. And Mark Siegel, who has some good news, by the way. About the value of sleep. Sleep. Um, I think we need a little Christmas music as we go to break. We'll be right back. Santa baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me. Been an awful good girl. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now here's John Katz and Matidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby. And, uh, John, uh, you have a great interview coming up on the Cats Roundtable on Sunday, uh, the top-rated show, of course, which is so awesome. And we have a former NATO Supreme Commander, Admiral Stavridis, who you asked a really important question to him, talking about the priority of the border and securing the border. Uh, take a listen to this. Here's a little tease, everyone. I understand the... Uh, the GOP point of view, where they want to support uh, the Ukraine, and uh, but they want to support the borders of uh, of America, the United States. Yes. And I don't know. I mean, I can understand that because right now we're under attack. Our borders are just liquid. John, I agree. And the with other that. And and, yeah. and I, yeah. I, 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 support that view. And I would say that it's actually four things that need to happen, uh, which we've talked about. One is support for Ukraine, support for Israel, support for Taiwan, and security for the border. I think all four of those are strong national security imperatives. And yes, we've had two million illegal migrants cross our borders per year For the last several years, we had 30,000 in one day. Um, That cannot continue. And as you know, John, I'm a registered independent, not a Republican nor a Democrat. I'm a centrist. But I think that our southern border must be controlled. So I agree with with linking those two together. I've been a Democrat. I've been a Republican, but I'm basically a centrist. I I want what's best for America. Great interview. John, I can't wait to hear the rest of it. And, of course, there he said, yeah, we have to secure the border. Uh, that's going to be a blockbuster interview on Sunday. Can't that, wait to hear it. That will be on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Awesome. Cat's Roundtable, everybody. Can't wait to hear the full thing. He's always great. And joining us to talk about what's going on in the border and also what's going on with China and Taiwan is the great Asia expert, Gordon Chang. His Twitter is Gordon G. Chang. Uh, has it just released? China is going to war. 
Uh, Gordon, uh, before we get to all the China-Taiwan, uh, there's been this case lately where we've seen all these Chinese crossing our wide-open southern border. How dangerous is this? And they're, like, well-dressed with suitcases. It, it looks very questionable. Well, certainly, Rita. There's been a change in the composition of Chinese coming across our border. So if you go back a year or so, we saw families um, enter the U.S. Um, from Mexico. Now it's almost entirely young men, military age, traveling without family groups, packs of five to 15, pretending not to speak English, and U.S. Border Patrol knows that some of them have links to the Chinese military. So this is exceedingly dangerous. Wow. Um, And what do you think, what could they be planning? I mean, there's so many issues. We're so worried of what's going on with our border, and we're not checking them. And especially Chinese, you would think it would be red flagged. You certainly would. You know, and what are they planning to do? Well, they could, for instance, bomb our grid, poison our reservoirs, um, all sorts of things. Remember that lab in Reedley, California, that was discovered? Oh, yeah. Chinese biological weapons facility. It had thousands of vials of at least 20 different pathogens and almost a thousand mice that had been genetically engineered to spread disease. So you can imagine these saboteurs and operatives coming across our border would link up with those facilities, take the mice, and spread Ebola and anything else that they had in that lab around the United States. So, uh, Gordon, tell us about Taiwan. Everyone's concerned with Ukraine, with Israel. That the the uh, Xi, would he militarily go after Taiwan in the kind of situation when our military is very stretched? Eventually, I think that he would do so because he has based his personal legitimacy on annexing Taiwan. I don't think he's going to do it anytime soon, though, because the Chinese military right now is in disarray. So, for instance, in the rocket force, which is controls almost all of China's nuclear weapons and would be an integral part of China's plans, um, 70 uh, officers have been arrested recently, including the top two have been disappeared. So China's military, and it's not just the rocket force, is in a state of turmoil. But that doesn't mean China won't go to war, because while this is going on, even though this is going on, we're seeing very belligerent activity against the Philippines in the South China Sea, especially at Scarborough Shoal, um, Second Thomas Shoal, and Whitson Reef. So China could very well blunder into war someplace. Well, you, you know your your history. You know the last war that they fought was against the Vietnamese in 1979, and they were the Chinese troops were decimated. Now, what I understand is uh, that the purpose of it, from uh, China's point of view and from Deng Xiaoping's point of view, was to to uh, make sure that the military knew it had to go back to the barracks and give up politics. Uh, can Xi trust the military now or not? I don't think so, because he has been sacking a lot of officers. Or, in the alternative, his political enemies have been sacking his choices. Um, so, if, for instance, in the rocket force, the top two commanders are gone. Um, and those were Xi Jinping's uh, picks. Also, the defense minister was last seen in public on August 29th. He was... Um, formally removed on October 24th and has not yet been replaced, which is extremely concerning. So I don't think Xi Jinping trusts his military right now. And it still remained very much a political force as it was in 1979. 
because you have two lines of reporting. And the more important one is not the military one, but the political one. Yeah. Wow. Well, mm. please keep us posted. Uh, Gordon Chang, we love and appreciate you. And, and listen, well, I think we should play a little Christmas music because we love you. You're always on the show here, too, Gordon. Here's a little Christmas music for you and your wonderful wife. Of a Christmas. Thank you, Gordon. Merry Christmas. Thank you. We appreciate Thank you, it. Thank you, John. Merry Christmas, Gordon. And and speaking of uh, dreaming, that's actually the perfect song. I think we need to play it again as we lead into Dr. Mark Siegel, uh, because Dr. Siegel is talking about how we dream through the weekend mm. and our sleep. Uh, Dr. Mark Siegel, we love having you here on the show. And John and I and all of us who are workaholics, we're very happy to hear that you can sort of catch up a little bit on sleep on the weekends, right? Yes, and by the way, this is the perfect node because, first of all, that music can soothe you, lower your blood pressure, decrease your stress hormones. That exact music is therapeutic. Second, they've been telling us forever, the Sleep Foundation, that if you had less than seven hours of sleep a night, you could never make it up like a chipmunk does, right? Like you can't re, re you can't hoard it on the weekends. They're actually, it looks like they're wrong. And one thing, another thing that came out simultaneously, American Psychological Association says less than seven hours of sleep does increase your risk of stress, blood pressure. All of that's true. But guess what you can do on the weekends? Now, here's why it's a perfect uh, node, because it's a Chinese study. It's Chinese researchers. So I would ask Gordon Chang a question if he was still here. Can we trust them? They they looked over American data. Oh, my God. Their fingers were in American data looking to see what the impact of sleep on the weekends is. By the but way, that's a good bridge. That that was a great transition for us, Dr. Siegel. <laughs> <laughs> well done. But, but nevertheless, I believe the study, and I usually don't believe it, but I believe this study because let me tell you what sleep does. What happens when you sleep, Rita, is when you look at the brain, the brain shuts down. It go, It was in overdrive before for most of us. It calms down, it decreases its activity, and it cleans. The brain cleans, and the, and the spinal fluid takes out the debris from metabolic processes during the day. So the brain is cleaning and restoring. And, of course, you can make it up on the weekends if you haven't done it during the week. You, you, you just store that sleep for use during the week. So I, I believe this study, and it's very reassuring for most of us. You know, um, you also had something else, Dr. Mark Siegel, and um, it, it was the, the virtues of a hug, which a lot of people will be doing as they see their family and friends this Christmas. Well, somebody pointed something out to me. You know, I said on Laura Ingram's show the other night that there's a study that shows that if you hug for 20 seconds, you decrease your blood pressure significantly and your stress and your risk of heart disease. Wow. And she lo- she loved that. But the one thing that I've been hearing afterwards is some people are saying, look, at that family dinner, there's people I don't want to hug for 20 seconds. So can we make it five seconds? <laughs> does that help? If it's five, does it help at least with the heart rate a little bit? <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure it helps a lot. Five is good. Depends on who you're hugging, I think, is my message. But, uh, you know, you could actually raise your blood pressure hugging the wrong person. But the point is, it takes the place of yelling and division and criticizing and putting people down and all of this soapbox stuff that we've been dealing with for the last four years. It's just a, just a really angry time. So hugging is definitely my treatment today. Well, we're sending our hugs to you uh, this Christmas. And Dr. Mark Siegel, uh, we love you here love on you. Cats and Cosby. 
Thank you for well, I love you guys, on. too. And by the way, I'm positive that John is a hugger. I know he is. I am a hugger. He is. He is. More sleep, more hugs. I love he it. He is. Yeah, Doctor's Margo, advice. Wait, wait, wait. We have the expert here, Margo. Margo. He's definitely a hugger. Oh. You see? Oh, I didn't know Margo was on. There you go. Yeah, it's Christmas. We got lucky. We got to give him Margo. Back, wow. You came back and you hugged Rita. You didn't hug me. Oh, wait a minute. That's right. That's right. Well, she started to hug. Yeah, I hugged her first. Okay. I hugged her first. How can you blame me? I was trying to lower my heart rate. You know. <laughs> I, want, I want to see John and Margo hugging, and I want to see a snapshot of it up on social media. That's a deal. That's right. a Merry Christmas, and we'll play. We'll play it out with your with your song here. That'll soothe us. I'm of a white Christmas. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in one or so from sleigh. And with Christmas now just a few days away, unbelievable. Uh, of course, everybody is thinking about our veterans, our first responders giving back, and those who have done so much for our country. And joining us now here on Cats and Cosby to talk all about this is Larry Olson. He is the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the great Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Larry, great to have you here on the show. And, you know, I I can't think of a better way uh, to sort of end this show by talking about what you guys have done for the holidays. You epitomize it. Well, thank you so much, and it's so great to be with you t- here tonight, and Rita. We we are just such um, you know such great friends and such great partners with you and all of your listeners. So thank you for that. And yes, we are. Believe it or not, we are nearing the end of our fifth annual season of Hope, where we pay off the mortgages between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And this year, uh, we are giving forty-one mortgage-free homes. To fallen first responder families, gold star families, and catastrophically injured veterans across the country. How do you decide who gets it? Because the need is so great. And, and I just want to say, personally, Larry, you and Frank are, are truly angels. Everybody there. I have been there where families have received these, the word that they're getting the mortgage-free homes and the tears in their eyes and the transformative. You have changed their lives. I mean, you are truly what the holidays are all about. Well, it's it's really the Stiller family and their legacy and honoring the memory of FDNY firefighter Stephen Stiller, who, of course, gave up his life along with uh, 343 FDNY firefighters that, that tragic day on 9-11. But, you know, the family, uh, the Stiller family took a very, very dark event and turned it into something just incredibly amazing. And, um, you know, the, the idea that just in these few days, we could be helping families in 17 states across the country, um, 24 fallen first responder families, 13 catastrophically injured veterans and first responders, and four Gold Star families. It's, it, it's a real testament to their commitment and the mission to never forgetting not what happened on 9-11, but paying that forward and honoring these great heroes that, that serve our community and our country. 
And everybody, we are talking to Larry Olson with the great Tunnel to Towers Foundation. It's T2T.org, everybody. And uh, we also have Ed Cox, who's an airborne guy here. <laughs> now, describe to us what happens, Tunnel to Towers, just so our listeners understand that. Sure. So um, we are focused on helping uh, pay off the mortgages and providing mortgage-free homes for fallen first responder and Gold Star families. And um, and and catastrophically catastrophically injured first responders and uh, military, so that these these great heroes um, don't have to worry about what is generally the greatest financial burden, and that is a mortgage. So, but, but people for, actually you know, people actually run from the from the tunnel to the towers, isn't that right? Yeah, they have the race too. What's the event? Yeah, exactly. that's what well, they have. They're all year round though, but that is the biggie too. Yes, right. That's the biggie. That's the biggie. Over 40,000 runners retraced FDMY firefighter Stephen Siller's last steps. And that is running from uh, Brooklyn through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel um, and to Ground Zero and and um, honoring all of those, not only who were lost that day, but the over 7,000 military who died since then. Um, and so it is an ongoing process, you know, You've had so many of our, of our heroes on your programs with um, 9-11 illness and, and some of the illnesses that, are, that these great heroes encounter in their service. So, yes, um, the families apply to us, and, and we, they go through an application process, and, and um, then we, uh, the board makes a decision on, on um, including them, and, and then we're able to provide them with a mortgage-free home due to the great generosity of your listeners. You know, uh, Larry Olson, I think about just how blessed we are as a country that we have people like Stephen Siller, and we have uh, so many incredible veterans and so many others, these veterans and first responders, who are running toward danger. Right now there's so many hot spots around the globe. You know, we cover it all the time here on Cats and Cosby. But how blessed we are to really have some of the most heroic people and how much does this mean to you and to our, you know, tell our listeners why this is so important. It's the greatest country in the world because of these great men and women that you honor so magnificently. You know, these great heroes go out every day, not knowing whether they're going to return home to their families and their children. Children. So in 2023 alone, we've gifted over 200 mortgage-free homes to military and first responder families. And that's from the generosity of listeners participating in our $11 a month program. But we've also uh, launched a new program, Getting Homeless Vets Off the Street. It means everything for us to be able to help these heroes. So, so far this year, we've um, been able to not only provide housing, but to give services to over 3,500 homeless vets across the country. And that is tantamount to our, our, our mission, you know, and that is to honor these great heroes who go out every day on our behalf and and risk their lives, um, risk you know the stability in their with their homes and their families, to to help us and to protect us, and we've got to help them. Absolutely, and I want to tell everybody t number two t dot org t two t dot org. You epitomize what Christmas and what the American spirit is all about. Larry Olson, thank you so much, and Merry Christmas to you and Frank and everybody there with Tunnel to Towers. Well, wishing you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and thank you all for so much for your support. <laughs>
We appreciate you so much. We love you, Larry. Thank you for joining us, Larry. And Margo, uh, this is big holiday time. You are busy, and I know you love Christmas. Well, it was absolutely wonderful today. This is the first time in many years that I walked around the city today, and it was like old New York. People were hustling and bustling and waiting to see the tree and going in the shops, looking in the windows. I have not seen that kind of happiness in New York for so long. It is so So nice. it made me feel good and get in the mood for the holidays. Yeah, bravo. It is. You're right. It was like classic Ed Cox. New York thoughts. at its best. Yeah, Margo it. said it well. Governor Patterson? Well, this is a wonderful time of the year, not just for people who celebrate Christmas, but people who also just see it as a happy occasion. Yeah, and, and I just want to say I'm thankful. I am praying for peace. You know, I feel like to be with family, faith, friends, and just peace in the world. And, uh, and I John, love Christmas. Me too. Me too. It's the happiest. It's the happiest day of the year. It is. And what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, and the American way. way. God, God bless. bless America. And God bless we need to have. And Merry Christmas. And this is your favorite song, right, John? How beautiful. Merry Christmas, John and Margo. We love you. Thank you for everything you do for New York, everybody.